So Jesus, what do we make of that, and how do we apply it to our lives? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good to see all of you here. I'm always glad to see you here on a sunny day. I'm a little surprised, but I'm always glad that you were here on a sunny day. Uh, a while back, a young man who years ago was on staff here got a job at the American church in Paris. And before he left, he and I chatted briefly, and he said, my church sometimes flies people to Paris to preach. Would you ever be interested? And I said, look, if it is not Christmas or Easter, I am there, right? Well, a few weeks ago, he emailed me, and he said, well, how about you come and preach at my installation? And then he wrote, but I know you're busy, and that was just a brief conversation we had, so maybe the idea of going to Paris is more exciting than actually going. I emailed him back, and I said, <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> actually, going to Paris is always way more exciting than the idea of going to Paris. So later this spring, I will go preach in Paris, and that's what following Jesus is all about. Not the Paris part, okay, but following the real Jesus, not the cultural or the religiosity Jesus, but the real radical making new of all things Jesus is way more fulfilling than the idea of following him. Problem is, myself and, and, and many of us, maybe all of us, sometimes follow something other than the real Jesus. We're following our culture or we're following religious tradition, which shrinks our lives, it's kind of like bonsai, you know, those miniature little trees, right? If you put those trees in a normal environment, they would grow to be much bigger, but confine them in a tiny pot, and they only grow a couple of inches high. The same thing happens to Christians, okay? I've seen, and I've seen some of the cutest little six-inch Christians running around. <laughs> I am often one of them, because when our God is small and our world is small, then our lives get small. But put us in a bigger world with a bigger God, and we get bigger, more courageous lives. And that is one of the reasons that we are doing this sermon series called Movement to Heal a Culture. Because uh, I really do believe that we, Bell Press, are one of the churches that can help to heal the culture on the east side and beyond. Which I think is good news, because no matter who you are, there is stuff to be concerned about in our culture, isn't there? So I am hoping that the, these sermons will give all of us hope and courage not just corporately as a church, but personally as well. And as we've said before, twice before in history, there have been Christian movements that have transformed entire cultures for the better. Actually, it's three times in history, but I'll get to that. So let me review the five-minute history lesson I gave you all two weeks ago, because history gives us reasons to hope that we can heal our culture. As I have now said eight billion and one times, the Roman Empire gradually became Christian, not through politics or government or the use of the sword, but by Christians living radically different lives, caring for the sick and the poor, reconciling races, courage in the face of martyrdom. And that attracted more and more people until gradually the majority religion of the empire, which included that whole area there, Europe, Africa, Asia, all that area became Christian. And things like gladiator games and the oppression of women decreased as people began to live the Jesus way of life. But then a disaster happened. Worst thing that could have happened, the emperor became Christian. Now, the empire had already been Christianized before, but his conversion was a disaster because now people became Christian, not for the Jesus way of life, but because it was socially advantageous, helped them get that cushy government job. And the movement became a monument and calcified in religious tradition. But then something awesome happened. Rome collapsed as various tribes invaded the empire. 
And these tribes were not Christians. So Europe was now post-Christian, a memory of Christianity, but it was post-Christian, kind of like us today. And what you see on this map, they really aren't countries. They are more like territories controlled by rival gangs with cool names like Visigoths and Vandals and Gepids and things like that. This was awesome because post-Christian messed up Europe turned into the perfect uh, uh, conditions for a second movement of God. So maybe post-Christian messed up America could be the same. After the fall of Rome, the remaining Christians did what their first century predecessors did. They went all over Europe in missional communities of about 50 people, most of them ordinary, not all pastors, cared for the sick and the poor, reconciled races, courage in the face of persecution. That attracted people until gradually Europe was re-Christianized. And things like human sacrifice and slavery disappeared as people began to live the Jesus way of life. So if that can happen during the Roman Empire, if it can happen after the fall of Rome... And it's happening now in China and Africa and Latin America. That's the third movement in history. Then why not here? Why not now? And why not begin with us, Bell Press? And I believe that we can heal our culture. If we stop doing some of the stupid stuff that Christians have been doing, like yelling at our culture, that's not working out so well, and start doing stuff that is historically proven to work. And one of the places you see this cultural renewal is most clearly was in Ireland where missional communities led by St. Patrick transformed the Celtic world, slavery, human sacrifice, all of that went away, completely healed the culture through a movement of God. So yay, Irish, right? Not so yay. Because see, the churchy folk back in Rome, the monument people, not the movement people, they didn't like this revival and this cultural healing thing one little bit. No, they didn't like it at all. Why, you might ask. Thank you for asking. Was it for some massive theological, weighty, important issue? No, 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 no. See, the Roman Christians were upset because the Irish Christians celebrated Easter on a different date. <gasps> the horror, right? Not only that, Irish Christians had long hair and Roman Christians cut their hair. So you can totally see why this movement had to be stopped in its tracks, right? I mean, yeah, sure, human sacrifice was ended, but people have long hair, don't you see the problem? So while Europe is going up in flames, this is their concern. See, the Roman Christians confused their culture with Jesus. To them, it was more important to export Roman culture, to turn people into good Romans, learn Latin, cut their hair, right, than it was that they became Christian. And the result was they got a smaller God who died on a cross so that people would cut their hair. Six-inch Christians with a six-inch God living six-inch lives in a six-inch culture. Aren't you glad we don't do that kind of stupid stuff anymore today? Oh, a cynical and sarcastic laugh. You're not convinced, right? The truth is we can all be kind of Roman Christians. Me too. Confusing cultural stuff with real Jesus stuff. So how do we avoid that? How do we avoid six-inch God, six-inch lives and become part of God's bigger movement to heal our culture and find hope and courage for ourselves in the process. Well, the passage we read today gives us some clues. So for a bigger God, bigger lives, and a healed culture, we need to focus on Christ, not culture. See, the Romans were more concerned about exporting Roman culture than they were about people knowing Jesus, who is the one who actually transforms us. Same thing with the religious leaders in Jesus' day, concerned with a bunch of cultural stuff. 
Jesus says, you strain at a nap, but you swallow a camel. What they would do is they would filter their water through cloth so that they wouldn't accidentally swallow an insect. And that had to do with cultural traditions about holiness and cleanliness and all of that. And Jesus' point is, you're missing the point. But worse, you're keeping people from heaven or from God. He says, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So because they live more for culture than from God, they prevented people from experiencing God, including themselves, which all of us do in one way or another. Right? If, for instance, we use Jesus to validate our politics, that's cultural stuff, right? and we alienate people. Or if we slap our American expectations onto Jesus, which I do a lot of, right? I sometimes think Jesus' job is to make me happy and to make me comfortable. So when hard stuff happens, I feel like Jesus didn't do his job and he didn't show up because that's the American Jesus, right? Heal me, bless me, help me. That's American Jesus. The real Jesus makes me more like him, gives me courage, helps me find joy even in hard times. If we prioritize all of our busyness over things like genuine community, we're living more for cultural expectations than for Jesus, and we miss the blessings of friendship. We get a six-inch life because we're following a six-inch God. The idea of Jesus rather than the actual Jesus. Or if we get attached to certain ways of doing church, right, that come more from the culture than from the Bible, you know, then we can lose the real Jesus. And generally speaking, Bell Press, we do all right on this, but occasionally, like all churches, we have some religiosity issues, you know, about music and how you church and stuff like that. And, you know, on a couple of occasions, I've had first-time visitors tell me they got a judgmental look from someone for how they were dressed or someone said something to them. In one case, someone said to a visitor, what makes you think you can come to church dressed like that? Next time, dress up. Ooh, I know. It's even happened to some of our staff. It happened to Chris, which was awkward, right? Poor Chris. We love him anyway, right? Now, let me be clear. That is absolutely the exception, not the rule. That is not the heart of this church. And it happens here in modern, too. You may think this is only for them over there. Mm -mm 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 -mm. It happens here in modern in reverse. Sometimes folks feel judged if they dress up to come here. So it's just, so let me just be clear. It's Good to dress up to go to church. For some people, that's about the, the way to honor God. It's also good to come in jeans and a T-shirt as a reminder that Jesus loves us just as we are and that he himself was born in a barn. Our only rule here is that you please wear something. <laughs> okay, that is the only rule we have. And it's fine to have our preferences about how to do church. All of us do, young, old, here, over in the sanctuary. It's not an age thing. Oh, my goodness. When I did college ministry, if I changed one little thing, they'd all freak out, you know. No, you know, that's like Romans insisting that, G, that, that people learn, that the Irish learn Latin. So don't judge someone for how they dress. You know, if they've dressed up, don't judge them as being snooty and vice versa and all of that. Because that's just religiosity. And that shrinks our God, and therefore shrinks our lives. But if we follow Jesus, not our culture, or religious rules based on our culture, we not only keep people from experiencing Jesus, but we don't either. We get this smaller God, and we turn into bonsai Christians. And in this passage, Jesus has harsh words for the religious folk. You brood of vipers, how are you to escape the sentence of hell? Whoa! Like, basically, you're going to hell. And how dare you? But also, why would you? Why would you reduce the real, radical, risen, making new of all things Jesus down to a list of cultural rules? Because the real Jesus is so much cooler. 
And he does cooler things. He sets us free from all of that. Recently read about a suburban church in a high-tech area of Illinois, so a lot like us, right? And they started a ministry where suburban moms and grandmothers go into strip clubs in their area and befriend the women who are working there, most of whom have no way out of that, that situation. Well, a while ago, these women were in the club, and they met a woman they called Ms. M. And Ms. M told these Christian women that she was pregnant and, that, and she wanted a better life for her baby. So they connected her to a shelter for women escaping the sex trafficking industry. It's called Refuge for Women. It was started by a Christian couple who sold their home and bought a farm and transformed it into this haven for women, a safe haven for women who need a new start. And it provides health care and job training. So they told Ms. M, you can have your baby there. And she said, a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Last week, I, I walked out of the strip club and I said, God, help me get out of this. I just want a better life for my baby. And someday I want to be part of this ministry and tell those other girls there's a refuge. You can get out. That's what the real Jesus does. The real Jesus. So much bigger than the cultural Jesus whose job is to make me happy. Or the religiosity Jesus. Those suburban women, they got a much bigger life. And Bell Press, you are like this church. And some of the most radical of you are our senior citizens which I'll get to in my second point, which is this. For a bigger God, bigger lives, healed culture, we can't swap truth for trivia. Jesus says to the religious leaders, woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. He's criticizing their theological hair splitting about what you could and could not swear by. And then he says, you give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. That is, it's, it's good to give and to tithe, but, it, you know, but if it stops there, it's just it's six inches deep. Go deeper. Christian speaker Tony Campolo once was preaching in a church, and he did something I think was a little too harsh. I wouldn't do it, but it still makes a good point. And he said, my sermon today has three points. Point number one, 18,000 kids will die today of starvation. And they said point number two, and everyone's like, ooh, this is going to be a short sermon, right? We're getting out early. He said point two, many of you don't care. Except he didn't say don't care. He said many of you don't give, and then a word that you don't use in church, even though the Apostle Paul uses it in the Bible, but never mind, right? Said that word, and then he said, and my third point is, most of you right now are more worried that I just said that word than you are about the starving kids. And that's the problem with the church the church in America. Kind of harsh, but it makes a point about how we can get, how we just can obsess over trivialities. And not just in church, but man, I can be the most tr trivial pursuit person in the world. Like, I can be so obsessed with my job, my reputation. What do people think about Scott today? How are people feeling about Scott? Did they like that sermon? Did they not like that sermon? Is Scott's latte the perfect temperature? I mean, I can just, I can just obsess. And yes, we should carry our concerns to Jesus. But if that's all we do, we become six-inch Christians. But if we get into God's bigger world and his mission to set at liberty those who are oppressed economically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, life gets very big again. And Bell Press, you do this so well. Years ago, when we stopped wearing robes, those of you in this service wouldn't have known, but over there we wore robes years ago. When we stopped, some people, that was a loss for them. Uh, other people, they supported that decision over there. Some people, I was surprised at the number of people who didn't even notice. Like one guy said, you were wearing robes? I'm like, yeah, but only for like the last 55 years, right? Well, the second Sunday, we didn't wear them. A man came up to me in the lobby and he said, I am mad at you. I am so mad at you 
Those robes were important to me. To me, they were about the majesty of God. You have taken that away. This is the worst decision you have ever. I am so mad at you. And then he said, but this church is all about Jesus, the authority of Scripture, his mission in the world. So neither me, my money, nor my enthusiasm are going anywhere else. Yay, Bell Press, I just wanted you to know that I am mad. <laughs> I said, I'm sensing that you're angry. And I said, you know, I've had a lot of people support this decision. But what you said means more to me than all of that combined because you're making a sacrifice. Thank you. And this is one of the things I love about this church. Y'all can separate major from minor. A genuine biblical issue and what's just culture or what's just preference or what's just less than biblical, right? And whenever I tell that story to pastors around the country, they say, ooh, you can do a lot with a church like that. And I say, oh, you better believe you can. You could, for instance, start a Jubilee Reach or have homes for teens who need them. You could heal a culture with a church like that because a church like that is laser-focused on Jesus and his mission into the world. And Bell Press is who we have always been. And our senior citizens are often the ones who have led the way, been the most radical in following Jesus. I've told you many times about a group of retirees who went to the jungles of Guatemala and, and, and started Journey with a Village, which has helped all kinds of people get a better life, right? And for those of us without an AARP card, which I can still cling to for a little while longer, we have a lot to learn from our senior citizens about what it means to be radical for Jesus. To heal a culture, we need Christ, not culture. Truth, not triviality. Third, focus on mission, not method. When the car was invented, horse and buggy makers went out of business because they were focused on the method, not the mission. The mission is travel. The method is buggy or car or airplane. And if you think about today, the mission might be music or photography, but the method always shifts, right? Like think about music. The method shifts from eight-track tapes, and aren't we glad those are gone, right? Like that was a bad idea. You younger people don't even know what that is. That's a good thing for you, right? Shift from that to CDs to streaming, and companies that show innovation around the mission, like Apple or Google, will always beat companies that are devoted to the method, like Kodak. And the fact that if you're about under like 30, you don't know what Kodak is, proves my point. The mission is Jesus and his rescue operation to this world. That never changes. Problem with a lot of churches is we change Jesus to fit our culture, but then keep our methods all the same. No, 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 backwards. Jesus and his mission never change. The method changes all the time as the Holy Spirit empowers us to be creative in our schools, in our offices, out there in the culture, and find new ways to bring the healing of Jesus that fit the cultural context that we're in. The Roman Christians were so uptight, fussing about hairstyles and, oh, my goodness. But the Celtic Christians were so free to follow the Holy Spirit. Let's be Celtic Christians, not Roman. That doesn't mean you have to go take step dancing lessons, just, you know, the spirit. Christ, not culture. Truth, not triviality. Mission, not the method. And notice these all alliterate. I was hoping you would remember at least one of them. All right. And when we do all of those things, you know what we get? We get a movement, not a monument. Colosseum in Rome, the empty cathedrals in Europe are monuments to what once was. But monuments don't heal culture, but movements do. As people begin to live the Jesus way of life, and then one person at a time, lives get changed, families get changed. Pretty soon schools, offices, whole communities get changed because the real Jesus, not the idea of Jesus, the real Jesus is way cool. So I want you to hear a story about what the real Jesus can do. I have invited Jonathan Jansen to come and share his story. Let's see, where's the mic? Where's the... 
come and share his story. Jonathan is a student at Eastside Academy, alternative high school that is housed in this church as well as at Overlake. And he's got a story about how Jesus can change a life. Perfect. It is on. Thank you, Scott. Um, well, hello. Like you said, my name's Jonathan. Um, I recognize a lot of people in here. Uh, but if you don't know me, I'm about to share my story. So you're about to know me. Um, so I'm just going to kind of dive right into it. Uh, probably start out in elementary school, like we all did, right? I was a shy kid, kind of growing up. Um, I, the friends I hung out with, you know, we were all kind of the nerds, I guess. We all got picked on, all got kind of bullied. That's just kind of how it was. Um, and then kind of going into junior high, that kind of changed around for me. I started to turn into the bully. I started to turn to the person who picked on the nerds, right? Um, so that was junior high for me. I started hanging out with uh, kind of the wrong crowd, you consider, you know, guys that we were all skipping classes, getting in trouble a lot. Um, a lot of my friends started getting into drugs and alcohol, started smoking cigarettes, you know, in about an eighth grade. Um, and I was heading down that path. That was, that was where I was heading, and uh, that's what my parents saw. My parents saw me heading down that dangerous path, and they knew that something had to change. So they talked to my school counselor, and she recommended Eastside Academy. And that's where my parents decided to send me. So, I mean, at first, I was really, really angry, as you can imagine, you know, leaving my school. Um, I started immediately making plans for my great escape. Uh, I, did Im I imagined this place to be, you know, barbed wire fences and brick walls. You can imagine my surprise when it turned out to be a church. <laughs> um, so, you know, I got to a point where I was like, all right, I told my parents, I'll stay for one year. That's it. Then I'm gone. Obviously, that didn't work out because I've been there for four years now. Um, but about a couple months into going to Eastside Academy, I started to realize that I actually liked this place, you know. I was actually having fun. Um, I enjoyed going to school. Uh, I felt like I belonged somewhere, you know. Everyone, you know, people talked to me, you know. I had friends. The teachers talked to me. And there was a personal feeling that Eastside Academy gave me that I've never felt anywhere else. Now, academically speaking, I hate work. I do. I really do. I still do. But Eastside Academy is made it easier for me to understand the work that we do in, in class. It's not like the, the material is harder, or, or sorry, easier. It's just that the way that they teach it, the personal touch that the teachers put on it, the one-on-one -on -one teaching, it makes it a lot easier to learn from someone who you can consider a friend versus someone who you consider an authoritative figure who tells you what to do all the time. Now, moving on to another part of Eastside Academy that's helped me a lot is the mentor program. Now, many of you, probably all of you in here know a guy by the name Mike Standard. He is my mentor. Thank God for that, because he's amazing. He's listed on my phone as Mike Premium, because obviously he's not a standard guy. He's a premium dude. Uh, and the, mentor, the thing about the mentor problem that's just so important to me is that I find when you're having a conversation with, adult, with an adult who you can consider a friend and not an authoritative figure who tells you what to do, you have a much better chance of becoming an adult in a better way, of learning to mature and become an adult. Because it's, like, you know, it's not like you're sitting down at lunch and they're telling you, here's what you do to be an adult. It's that you're just talking to them and you're noticing how they act as an adult. You're noticing how they talk. And just having that influence, it's one of the greatest things. Now, let's see, I messed up the pages. There we go. Now, when I came to Eastside Academy, I had no faith. I didn't believe in God. 
it was all just la-di-da-da for me. I mean, I grew up a Catholic. I go to church every Sunday. But I never got it. I never understood it as a kid. However, that all kind of changed in my second year at Eastside Academy. In March of 2014, I was diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma. It's a type of cancer. And, you know, going into that experience, I still I had no faith. I didn't believe in God. But about halfway through, I remember sitting in the hospital. I was alone, you know. It was the one day out of the entire experience that my mom wasn't sitting there next to me. But I was alone in my room, and I started to feel not alone. I felt like someone was there next to me. And that's when I had this overpowering feeling and just knowing that God was there fighting for me, fighting with me. And over the next couple of weeks, I started to realize all my friends, my family, church, the school, everyone was fighting with me and fighting for me. And to me, that was an amazing, empowering feeling, and it changed my life. It turned it around. Now, this year, I've been volunteering a lot with, uh, with Bell Prez. You've probably seen me playing up here with worship, which is one of the greatest things, because that's how I found my peace. A lot of people pray in different ways. Well, I pray and I talk to God through music. So it's been one of the most amazing experiences for me to be able to play music with the elementary, with the kids, in high school, up here. It's, it's just this amazing thing that I could never give up for anything in the world. Being able to be in the environment of the music I love, with the type of people who are just awesome, our band, they're amazing, like every single time. So that's been one of the, probably the best way for me to, to find my peace, is that. Now, I've been at Eastside Academy for four years, like I said. It's a long time, a really long time, four years, at least for me. Uh, I, came in, I came in as a dumb, stu- a dumb kid who thought he knew everything. I didn't know anything, but I thought I did. However, that's starting to change just a little bit, bit by bit, right? Um, but Eastside Academy, they've really helped me to not just get past struggles in my life, but to become more of an adult. I now see things and I see people from a different perspective, a perspective I never could have imagined before. At my old school, I wasn't who I was supposed to be. I didn't know who I was, but God's told me that's not who I was supposed to be. And the thing about God is if he wants something to change in your life, he's changing it. You can't stop him. That's just, you can't stop him. He will change it no matter how long it takes. But that's what happened to me. Is God, that's what happens. When you, when you come to God, that's what he does. He changes your life just like that. So that's what Eastside Academy has done for me. Now, I still struggle with things. Everyone does. I've been smoking for four years now. But that's not one of those things that I know when God says, all right, you're done. Snap his fingers. I'll be done. That's just how it works. That's what I've come to realize. So, If not for Eastside Academy, I probably wouldn't have any faith at all. I wouldn't believe in God. I never would have picked up a guitar, and I wouldn't be anywhere near the man I am today. And to me, that's a nightmare I can't even think about. So, thank you. So I would go ahead and have a seat. I, I want to just ask parents a uh, follow-up question. Like, what are you grateful f- to God for out of all of this? I just have to set the record straight on one thing, and there was more than just one day that I didn't sit in that hospital bed room. Um, 
I'd have to say that, you know, we all face adversity in our life, and our, and our children do, and, um, you know, you can get stuck in thinking about your circumstances and, and kind of get lost in that, but our God is big, and when you look around each day, I mean, we, we, we went through that journey day by day, and God always put people in our lives that helped us, helped Jonathan. Um, we have a very strong community at our home church in Kirkland, our friends, our family, but... Um, for Jonathan and, you know, being a high school student, that's so important to have that, to be wrapped around with love and support from your um, school. And that truly was the thing that made the difference in um, our journey with Jonathan. And we can't thank you enough for what Bell Prez and Eastside Academy um, has done for all of us. And Women at the Well and Table 4 Ladies, you rock. Um, so we, we're just grateful that you know, God has continued to put angels in our lives. I'll just say amen. And I'm going to say thank you, Tony, for what you do with Eastside Academy. Thank you for being there. Let's thank them for sharing their story. By the way, next year, Jonathan is going to Lake Washington Technical College and he's going to be part of the Motorcycle Marine and Power Program. I don't even know what that is, but man, that sounds so cool. <laughs> that is what the real Jesus does. Right? Not, not, cultural Jesus doesn't do that. Religiosity Jesus doesn't do that. Real Jesus does that. So glory for Jonathan's story goes to Jesus, but also to Jonathan and his family, because clearly you are a very godly man from a very loving family. And then kudos to Mike Premium, right, for... Being an awesome mentor. And, and Eastside Academy that changes lives. And after the service, those folks in the lobby, I'd encourage you to go talk to them about how you can support this life-changing ministry. Their immediate need is for golfers for their fundraising tournament. Any ability is, is great. Uh, but you can support them in other ways as well. But then also thank you, Bell Press for being the kind of community where stories like Jonathan's happen, not just once or twice, but over and over and over again. Thank you for being focused on the real Jesus. Because the cultural Jesus, the religiosity Jesus, dwarves our lives like bonsai trees. Follow the real Jesus. So how can you do that this week? How can you focus on the real Jesus? A good starting place would be just read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See what he's really like. And then how can you, in a culturally appropriate way for your school, your neighborhood, your office, how can you bring his healing there? The real Jesus gives us bigger lives. And, and he changes lives. And you change one life, and that person influences others. Then they influence others, and so on, and so on, and so on. And that's how you start a movement. That's how Europe became Christian. See, it really is like Paris. Following the real Jesus is way cooler than the idea of Jesus because the real Jesus changes lives. The real Jesus changes the world. So, Lord, help us to be laser-focused on you, not our idea of you, the real you. And help us to follow you into your world to bring your healing. Holy Spirit, make us creative how we do that in this post-Christian culture, in our office, school, neighborhood, Lord, heal us and heal the world by using us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.